The Gospel according to Matthew, the second chapter, beginning at the first verse. And I'm going to have all of you be seated now. I just didn't want you to feel like you didn't get any aerobic activity today. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired them, saying, Where is the Messiah who is born? In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to be shepherd to my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went a star, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now, after the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt have I called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled, because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called, called Nazareth, so that when so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled, he will be called a Nazarene. Here ends the reading. Yes? No. No. How's that? Is that better? Okay. 
Well, grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I also bring you epiphany greetings from my congregation, St. John's Lutheran Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Together, whether you are aware of it or not, our congregations have been conspiring, collaborating, specifically with Pastor Joanna, on the question of why Jesus. I think you're going even one step further with why church as well, right? Uh, along with eight other churches here in the metro, we decided to take on this question of why Jesus and turned it into an epiphany project. Together, we created Sunday school materials, a video confirmation series, logos, there's been music, all sorts of things, and we put it on a website called the Why Jesus Project. Last month, we invited other churches in to ask their own congregations, why Jesus? So what started off as 10 congregations, we now have around 100 congregations around the world participating with us from Hopkins and Edina and Lakeville, Minnesota, to Idaho and Missouri, to Australia, all the way down to Santiago, Chile. So today the world, through the spark of your pastor, Along with the collaborative spirit of these 10 congregations, we started an albeit small movement of Why Jesus. So thank you, Pastor Joanna, and thank you, Shepherd of the Hills, um, and your collaborative work with us. It's a pleasure to be with you here today. So will you please pray with me? Gracious God, please let your word today not be for the tickling of ears, but for the transformation of lives. Amen. As you can tell from the children's time, I like to be interactive. That's just how I preach. It's a storyteller in me to, to see where people land on things. And so we're going to start today off with a pop quiz. Anybody remember those in high school? And you loved them, right? So it's just on the very first part, the familiar part of this story. I'm just going to ask a question, and I might ask you to raise your hand, or I might ask somebody to throw out a number out there. And I'm doing this to, to help you see how we make assumptions about stories, all right? So here's the first one. How many wise men visited Jesus? Give me a number. Three. We often think it's three, right? Um, but actually, if you read the story again, it doesn't tell us how many wise men. We make the assumption in the story that there's three because there's three gift. But it could have been two. It could have been ten. We don't know. Here's another one with a raise of hands. How did the wise men ride or travel from the east to follow the stars? Do you think they rode a mule hand? What about a horse? What about a camel? Or did they walk? Right? Read the story again that you just heard. We don't know. We make the assumption that they rode camels because that's what we see on our Hallmark greeting card. Right? But we are just making an assumption. Now, here's the last one. It's a little bit trickier. 
How old do you think baby Jesus is in this story? Do you think he's 10 days old? Raise your hand. Newborn, up to three months old? Six months old? Yeah. Well, we really don't know. But this is what it tells us in verse 11, if you look. It says, on entering the house. Remember, they were in a manger stable a week ago, right? Now they're in a house, and they saw the child. We don't use child normally to describe a newborn. Remember, the shepherds saw them as a newborn wrapped in swaddling cloths. It's just another assumption that we make. We assume that Jesus is some young baby because it's at the end of the Christmas 12 days, and Epiphany is here. But most likely, Jesus was a toddler, probably around two years of age by this point. Now, my pop quiz wasn't to make you feel bad, so don't stress over it. I did this to show you how we've been shaped by the world's interpretation of this story, of how Hollywood and Hallmark cards, Chris, Charlie Brown Christmas specials, and social media change how the story feels and looks and how we understand it. And the problem here is when we assume we know the story because how we've been shaped by other resources other than the Bible story right in front of us, we often miss the mark or the point of the story. Here's a life example of what I'm talking about when we make assumptions. About 10 years ago, I was at parent pickup waiting outside the gym at my kid's elementary school. It was a January cold day, and there were four of us waiting for the bell to ring, and we were all huddled together talking and laughing as young moms do. When one woman in my little group went, pregnant, other people looked over and smiled at her, right? The next morning when she got up and she looked at her Facebook page, several of the other people who weren't part of our conversation talking had put congrats on her Facebook page, followed by baby emojis. That afternoon at parent pickup, my friend, because she kind of goes direct to the source, she walked over to these other people and just asked them nicely, why did you write congrats on my Facebook page? And one woman said, well, you said pregnant, like that, really loud. And I assumed that you were pregnant. And she just laughed out loud. And she said, no, you, you have to understand what we were talking about. You assume that. But I was answering the question, she said, of what is the last thing I want to be? <laughs> you see, that's the problem, Right? When we make assumptions about someone's story, we miss the mark, the point. In this case, my friend, that was the last thing she wanted to be was pregnant. And the same is true with God's story. When we don't go directly to the source, the biblical text, when we rely on other sources like Hollywood and Hallmark to shape what we think and believe, then we can sometimes miss the point of the story. But there is hope. You are here. We won't all drown in a Hallmark Christmas Carol movie. 
Because we have the true story in front of us. The Bible story is right there. And when you come to church to search out what you believe and you let these moments be your starting point, dig deep, here's the best part. Questions begin to bubble up. Like in this case, why wise men? Why Herod? Why Jesus? We can ask the gospel writer Matthew this very question. He is an amazing storyteller here. Connecting the dots of the Old Testament to the very answer of why Jesus. Because Jesus is, and he fills in the blank five times here. The first one is, why Jesus for Matthew is because Jesus is fulfillment. And a couple weeks ago, you heard it written in Matthew 1 that all this took place, the Christmas story, the genealogy, to what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Because Isaiah said this, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look at a young woman is with child and she shall bear you a son and he will be called Emmanuel. Matthew tells you the same thing, that Jesus is, is Emmanuel, God with us. So why Jesus? Because Jesus is fulfillment of the prophecy. The second one, he says, because Jesus is ruler or king here. Our reading for today says in verse 6, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. This promised king comes right out of the prophet. Micah, who said, from you shall come forth the one who is to rule Israel. Why Jesus? Because Jesus is fulfillment. He is king. The next one he goes on to say is because Jesus is a rescuer. The prophet Hosea said, when I was a child, Israel, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Our story today reminds us that Jesus, along with his parents, fled for their lives to Egypt. It's God on the run. And when it was time to return to Israel in verse 15, it says God called his son out of Egypt and back to Israel. Remember, God had rescued the Israelites with Moses and when they were slaves in Egypt. And now God calls again his son this time out of Egypt to come and rescue the people one more time. For Matthew, why Jesus? Fulfillment? King? Rescuer? The next one is my favorite. Why Jesus? Because Jesus is comfort here. Jeremiah, the doomsday prophet, said that Rachel, the mother of Israel, weeps for her children because there is no comfort for children in exile. Matthew, once again, speaks of this prophet, of Israel's current sorrow, of how King Herod is killing their babies, and how they long to be comforted. That is what the advent of Jesus' coming brings, comfort. So why Jesus for Matthew is fulfillment, is king, is rescuer, and it is comfort. Jesus is comfort. The last one that I will share with you is a human reason. It's a practical reason. 
So why Jesus? It's because Jesus is Nazarean. He is from Nazareth, as it tells us in verse 23. A Nazarean is someone who comes from Nazareth, and that verse 23 points to the identity as the one who would fulfill King David's genealogy, which you heard two weeks ago or so. The prophet Isaiah reminded us that out of the stump of Jesse, Jesse is the father of David. A branch shall grow, and that branch is Jesus. So from the practical point, why Jesus? Because he's a Nazarene. Through these five reasons of why Jesus, you get him in various forms. Jesus is a who, a king, a rescuer. Jesus is a what, comfort, Fulfillment, and Jesus is human, a Nazarene. Over the next couple weeks, churches around the world will be talking about why Jesus. Jesus is light or blessing or relationship or love. We will be like Matthew, connecting the dots of God's story with our own stories. I mean, that is the goal here. On this sermon series of answering this question of why Jesus, that you will be able to answer it. Because Jesus is dot, 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 you fill in the blank. I'm going to share a story just as another example for you of why Jesus for myself. For almost 10 years, my family and I were missionaries in Madagascar. Madagascar is an island off the east coast of Africa. We were really young when we started. In fact, if someone would have asked me why Jesus, at the married age of 25, sent overseas to work, I would have said because Jesus is my ticket out of Dodge. The mentality is of what can Jesus do for me? It's called Christian consumerism. But a few years later, after I had my own baby, I was about 28, 29 years old. I worked as a chaplain in a local Lutheran hospital. And that's when my why Jesus changed. You see, One day, this woman walked in from the outskirts of town. She was in labor. She was malnourished. She was what we would call skin and bones. She was a beggar. And for the people that she lived with, she was a nobody. Unimportant, unworthy, a nothing. When her baby was born, I visited her. And he literally fit in the palms of my hand, and he weighed two kilos or so. The mother was so drained of energy from labor and delivery that IV fluids pumped through her system just to help with her dehydration. She was so thin and underweight, she could not nurse her baby. And for someone like her, there was no formula or bottles. She could even barely stay awake to hold the baby. When I came to the hospital the next day, I expected to hear wailing and crying because that's how people respond to death. 
But the baby had lived through the night. It was doing okay. What happened was when this baby cried during the night, when the mother could not tend to him, could not nurse him, could not change his diaper, could not do anything for him, other mothers stepped in. Women who could not stand to hear him cry. People who nursed him. They nursed a child that was not their own. They gave him a chance at life. Their lives were not about themselves, but a small child. That's when my why Jesus changed. It changed from because Jesus is my meal ticket to because Jesus is life. To see life not about yourself, but that we indeed live for others. Dear friends, I am a a firm believer, and I think your pastors would agree with me, that as church leaders, we cannot tell you what to think, believe, or say. That's not our role. That's between you and your God. So it's my hope over the next several weeks that you will enter this conversation with the people that you live with, that the people you're sitting with in the pew, and with Christ Jesus himself. So that the next time, and I promise you someone will ask you this within your life, they will ask you, why Jesus? Why do you go to church? That you'll have an answer. And that you will be able to say, because Jesus is dot, 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 you fill in the blank. Amen.